0: Hello, my name is Naranjan, the host of Master of Your Crafts podcast. Learning from leaders who are continuously inspired, passionate, and driven to align with their sole purpose, sharing their gifts to bring healing to others. The music is composed by Rebecca Everett. number 46 where I'll be talking to Gibran Quivetz, a divine being having a human experience. Gibran has a deep passion for justice and being of service, especially to those unable to stand up for themselves. Gibran lives life fully and feeling blessed for each day, expanding into limitless and fearlessly unstoppable in the name of service for humanity. Hello and welcome to Gibran, how are you?
1: Fabulous, how are you?
0: I'm doing wonderful, I'm doing wonderful. I am excited for our conversation to learn more about you and your journey that life has presented you because it's presented you all kinds of, I want to say magic, from um Experiences to really define who you are and how that works with the external world. Because sometimes they don't, they don't jive together very easily and they don't, there's very little coherence. What do you believe about yourself and do you feel it defines you with your journey of, I want to say, identity and Dare I say the transition of traditional gender roles that we identify with today?
1: I think it does. And I don't know which part defined me first, the part that I've gone through, or that that's just been my core belief is that I believe I'm a divine spirit having a human experience and that. I'm blessed and that I'm limitless and that I'm unstoppable. And I think those qualities are what have gotten me through life. And that belief has helped me when, you know, others have told me no. But it
0: wasn't always like that though, right? So now you've truly stepped into that Abundant self, and really living life to the fullest that you can possibly even imagine. When did that come into play for you to recognize that unlimitedness available to you when
1: stepping into it? When did that show up for you? I think you're right. It took it took the journey to get me there, and I think. Uh, Like most journeys, when you start, it's like such a long way to go, and you think it's almost impossible, especially when people put hurdles in front of you or society puts hurdles in front of you. But the more hurdles you get over, the more it helps build your stamina, the more um, you realize that you are capable and that nobody can keep you down. And then you just have this gust of I'm going to do this. I, I, you know, who says I can't be who I am, you know, this is me and, uh, and you just keep going. Yeah. And it just uh, drives you. Now it's like, nobody can stop me. Right. Yeah. That kind of, so it is a journey.
0: Yeah so that stance and even as you say it that nobody can stop me that stance and position and that power behind that is that all an attribute from what you had endured to get to this space or is it coming from a place of truly feeling and embodying who you are
1: I think it's both, you know, like I said, it empowered me every time I got knocked down to get back up. Um, And of course it had to do a lot with me having to be myself, not, not bending the knee to someone else you know, just fighting to be me. Did you
0: identify it
1: as a big fight before to truly
0: step into that? Was it a fight with others?
1: It was survival. Uh, It was survival mode at the beginning because uh, sometimes you couldn't fight it, even though uh, in the beginning it was a lot of, Lying to survive, you know, or not acknowledging or not being able to be myself because um, of the fallback you know I wanted a certain career I wanted to to serve my country, I wanted to be a police officer, I wanted to have children, I wanted to get married I wanted all those things that the average Um, straight person at the time, cisgender, heterosexual person at the time, took for granted. It just, it just was a freedom for them that they expected. But it was a outright battle. And at times, uh, survival required me to, to lie, just to be able to get the job, or have the children, or have those things that, uh, like I said, the average person, a heterosexual person was able to have that I was not. So uh, some people say, well, you lied. And yeah, it's called survival. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, you do anything to live.
0: That must have taken such a big toll on you um, during that time of being in that space. And to your core being, coming from a place of not truly stepping into your own sovereignty, your own authenticity.
1: Exactly. And my own integrity. Um, You know, I I, I consider myself a person of integrity and honesty. And to have to lie and not be my authentic self, it does take a toll on you emotionally, um, physically, and and, um, just hurts. It hurts to have to lie about who I am. Because other people's reactions uh, can affect my life, my children's life, you know, my my income, my livelihood, my home. So um, to have to lie about who I am just to be able to have a job or to keep my children safe um, was just a very sad and hurtful experience
0: what has been the turnaround place for you to come into speak Come into a space of letting that go and truly embodying who you are now having i want to say endured all you have based on societal constraints thinking the evolution of humanity, where do you sit now in terms of your attributes and your, um, what is it you bring to the world? Because surely it's given you a new lease on life, a new perspective, a new direction of fully living into this embodiment of Gibran.
1: My life has always been of service. Mm -hmm. Um, and that hasn't changed, and I've always had the passion for justice, and that hasn't changed. What's changed was that I had to live in a closeted situation in order to survive. Once my children were of age that the government couldn't take them away from me, once um, i got my pension from the police department so my my funds were secured that's when i transitioned and now ever since i transitioned i've been a voice for those who've had to go through what i've had to go through and i've spent i'm spending my life again in service for the children because now to help them through their transition and to help them through all the prejudice, discrimination and hate that's out there and try to be a role model and a beacon of hope for other people in my position to let them know that they're okay and they're gonna make it and that they have other people who've gone before them and have lived because a lot of people commit suicide. A lot of people commit suicide um, because, not because they hate themselves, but the hate that is generated towards them for being their authentic self. And it takes courage and it takes a lot of self love to combat that. And so I'm here to try to help anyone who's under that kind of stress and pressure to let them know they're loved, they're perfect the way they are, and to not give up on life because of what other people say and do. Right. And that's been my purpose and my service since I retired from the police department and the right. military.
0: And you was in those roles for quite a number of years. So the exposure and the visibility that you've had of I want to say injustice in the justice system has possibly governed and shaped the second phase of your life.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll confess, though, that even during the military and the police career, I was always an advocate, just careful that not my jobs would because I would have been kicked out of the military and I would have been kicked out of the police department at the time. And my children would have been taken away from me. Mm -hmm. So um, because of those, I never stopped advocating. I never stopped marching. I never stopped protesting because what's wrong is wrong. And to treat any human being like they don't deserve rights is wrong. And uh, that has always been. And of course, during my time as a military police officer and a police officer, I've always brought that to the table. I don't, I've never treated people any less for who they are. Uh, And I've always tried to follow the letter of the law, but with humanity. Right. Right. Do you feel
0: the the role of being of service and really seeking out justice for, I want to say, equality is potentially your calling or a greater purpose of why you feel you've been plopped onto this planet today?
1: Absolutely, especially when you're going through all the pain you're like, why am I here? This is just not worth it. And then you, when you get a, you know, a grasp of air, you go, you know, I made it through this, and there's other people suffering like I am. And if there's any way that I can help with the suffering, and I'm, I'm making it, and I can help somebody who's less able to, hmm. so I would stand up and be their voice. Um, My passion and my purpose has always been service and justice. And that's been my whole life since I was 18 years old when I joined the military. So, and here I am 60 and I'm still doing it.
0: What was that spark at that ripe young age that had that fire in your belly, so to speak? to put you in these roles and put you in this position, what was that? Was it an influence of your parents, your family, your community? Where did that really come
1: from? As a child, I just saw law enforcement as people that stood up for good people and against bad people as a child. And uh, so I always thought, you know, I want to be able to help I want to be a good guy. I want to be on the side of good. And uh, I truly wanted to help my community. And I thought, which better way than being a police officer? I thought Mm -hmm. that that was the right way. Of course, I learned a lot from being a police officer that justice isn't so black and white. However, the fact that I was there I felt that that was my duty to do the best that I could with whatever situation came up for me. Yeah. So I felt that I gave it a different perspective. I brought into it and I was able to train police officers in, um, equality and diversity training. Yeah. So, and I was able to help a lot of children in, uh, sex trafficking and a lot of, runaways and domestic violence situations. So I was always in a very um social police officer position working special victims and child abuse and domestic violence. So I did have the opportunity to make a difference in some people's lives that might not have had the same situation with another officer.
0: What do you feel were some of the attributes that you had garnered during that time of being through the police force system and the military in nurturing and having the exposure to some pretty, I want to say, violent or tumultuous circumstances? What were those attributes and do you feel, that they were all set into play for you to be who you are today.
1: Well, I've definitely learned a lot of lessons. And uh, being a police officer in Miami, you really get a big scope of humanity. And I think I learned a lot about empathy, compassion, Understanding, I think those were the greatest lessons for me.
0: Yeah. And and those are, I want to say, possibly the ones that you were maybe begging for other people to offer to you.
1: Exactly. All the more reason. When I got into the role uh, in, of law enforcement, I wanted to bring to the table, but I actually learned more of it, uh, especially dealing with prejudice and uh, people who do horrible things. Because it's really easy to be empathetic and compassionate and understanding with somebody who's a victim of a crime. Because they've been victimized and it's uh, easier, I would think, for the average person to feel compassion for that person. But it is difficult for the people that commit the crimes to have that that empathy and compassion and understanding and try to see things in a different light. Not Not to justify what they did or to say it wasn't wrong. However, to understand that not everyone is treated the same and not everybody grows up the same, and a lot of times monsters are the ones that create monsters, that the victims of horrible abuse are usually the subjects of horrible abuse. So those were all learning that helped me deal with a lot of difficult people to try to come at it from a different perspective.
0: So you identified some of the lessons that you had learned, the compassion, um, the empathy of other people going through whatever they've gone through, be it as a victim or be it as a perpetrator. And these were all lessons that are very prevalent, I want to say, if in any sector of the world, it would be in this justice and this law enforcement environment, right? That was way back then, 20, 30, 40, some years ago when you first started into the force. Now they have been heightened possibly even more so because of COVID. What do you think happened, if anything, about these attributes and these skills being pushed on the back burner? of not getting the attention, not getting the visibility, not being present when having a conversation and having that compassionate space, rather looking at it from an external identity of, this is what you look like, this is what you behave like, I can put you in a box, all very left-brain thinking. Whereas these attributes are very right-brain, so... Was there an off-balance to begin with? Do you think?
1: My personal opinion is just a systematic issue um, of people, especially of people in position of authority. Mm-hmm. When I started, I was young and dumb and full of piss and vinegar and anger. I had a lot of anger, mm-hmm. um, you know, angry that. People didn't see me angry that I was hiding myself, you know, angry that I wasn't accepted as a human being, (laughs) you know, that, that was a big one. Um, I still have anger sometimes and I try to stand up when I see injustice. And I think that's where that anger comes in because I, The compassionate side of me tries to understand where that person is coming from, but the injustice I can't stand for, you know, I I have to try to people, my friends say to me, why do you bother? You're not going to change anybody's mind. Right. And I go, you know, even if it's one person who I have a conversation with, and they question their belief system, then it's worth it. So as far as COVID goes, this isn't a pre-COVID or after COVID thing. I think it's a societal thing. As far as law enforcement goes, I think it's a a systemic issue. And I know you're in Canada and I'm in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I can't speak for Canada, but I could speak for the United States when I say I think our biggest issue is the systemic, inherent white supremacy in our country. And that's my opinion. White men have historically gotten away with everything. This country, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are beautiful and idealistic and Absolutely worth reaching that goal. We still have a lot of what this country was built on, which was prejudice, against anyone other than a white man. Uh, so if you were a white man, you owned women, you owned children, you owned property, you owned slaves, you owned you made decisions, you ran this country. And this country is having an identity crisis right now because it's being challenged by minorities, by blacks, by Native Americans, by women, by LGBT, by everybody who says, wait a minute. That's not what the essence of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights had in mind. Although many were prejudiced white men, all of them were white men, really. So, I think that finally voices are reaching up loud enough to say, we need to hear and understand that we're all equal. We're all human. We all bleed. We all suffer. We all have joy. You can't treat people differently we're coming to an age of awakening in my opinion you know it sometimes some of the worst lessons in my life some of the hardest times always bring you to another level of enlightenment education if you look at the problems as an opportunity to grow and learn and i think this covid has been an opportunity to be retrospective to take a look inwards, to try to be more decent human being. It's just an opportunity to grow for the betterment of the world. Yeah.
0: Do you can you identify any other countries that may have not amplified the magnitude of injustice that really happens
1: that you've experienced? We've traveled a lot and I know that there are many countries that are worse than the United States, Mm -hmm. if that's what you're asking me. As far, like, I know that there's still countries that uh, it's illegal to be homosexual. Mm -hmm. There's still countries that, um, you know, kill people for being gay. There's still places, you know. So, of course, I think that I can only speak here in the United States because this is where I live and where I feel I can make a difference. I try wherever I am, you know, it's, it's, it's like everything, even in police work, you can't change the world trying to do everything at the same time. But everything that comes in front of you, any case I had, I tried to be present and help that situation the best way I can. And that's what I do here. I'm in Tennessee which is the Bible belt of the country. And they have their issues constantly fighting the LGBTQ community. And so that's where I take my stand. I'm here to be a voice for those that are too afraid to be a voice. And to help the children, right, to fight. So it is a human issue, therefore it is a world issue. And uh, some places are obviously better than others. And I just hope that uh, little by little that changes. Not fast enough for me, but little by little, I'll I'll take progression. I'll take progress.
0: Yeah. All in due time. All in due time. I I guess I'm a believer that a lot of the world, to a certain degree, especially the bigger, I want to say Western countries, all sing from the same hymn sheet, if you will. What you identified of going on in Tennessee, in the United States, even as a broader country throughout all the states, I'm sure there are magnitudes of it there, some higher and some not as much, not as visible. Canada's not too far behind. I believe it's it's pretty similar in terms of the injustice aspect. And I'm from Britain, so I know I've seen it there too. And a lot of the bigger Western countries, I feel they all run the same way. They all run the same way, just as we've been able to see it clearly identified, even with this whole COVID situation. They're all running the same monologue, if you will. And that, to me, is triggered by the awareness of humanity, going back to your issue of the acceptance, the identity, the living a lie or living a way of life based on other people's consciousness and acceptance to step out of that patriarchal system, which I think is... Is not only hitting the LGBTQ community, but it's hitting humanity on a much broader scale. And that's where my curiosity comes in of how does it hit that sector? Because I've seen a rollout in the South Asian community. And it's a movement and it's about time. Absolutely. So your intentions are to be of service and to continue to support and create a space for other individuals challenged with whatever it is plaguing them to truly step into their own skin and truly feel what that looks like. What, is there anything else that you'd like to add to that to support other individuals on their own journey?
1: Well, I just wanted to add that uh, since I work with a lot of youth, uh, LGBTQ and uh, straight, not, not LGBTQ, um, they're going to be our saviors. Because I've noticed that as difficult as it is for some of them, they don't want to be confined or put in a box. Most kids now, that I've dealt with don't like being put in a box as far as gender goes. It's, they're like, you know, I'm fluid, I'm queer, I'm non-binary, that is, is, that's the future. Um, They don't, they're, they're learning to question the rules that were made by people trying to keep people down, and so I think it's it's inspiring that, and I'm hopeful yeah. that the next generation, people like uh, Greta, people like you know all this uh, Elijah, and you know all these people that have come out and are being role models showing that just be you, be the love, be who you are. And, you know, don't, don't settle for less. Right. And don't let other people keep you down. I have hope for the future. Yep. I have hope in our youth.
0: And these are exciting times because We know when change comes about in any format or formula, there has to be an unearthing of a foundation of what we thought was the foundation of security and identity Mm -hmm. in our world. That unearth has to happen. And as painful as it is for others and uncomfortable, it's freeing for many. And I truly believe that we're in that pivotal space for that to happen. So I'm feeling and sensing it's time to just hold on to your hat and let's enjoy this second round of a ride because it's going to be one.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's going to be one. This has been such a delightful conversation, learning more about you and your drive, your passion, your, your service of truly stepping into your comfortable space of your identity and pulling back those shoulders and stepping into who you are with no excuses, with no settlement to others of their acceptance or not. But just being the support, the guide, the mentor, the wisdom seeker that you are. So thank you for sharing
1: all of your experiences. Well, thank you for having me. And knowing you, you spread love and wisdom and kindness. And I enjoy your podcast and I enjoy your friendship. Thank you so much, Kim. I'm
0: Naranjan, and you've been listening to Master of Your Crafts podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and join me next week for another episode.